This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration, how-to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to sarahraven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven. And today I have returning Josie Lewis, our head gardener. Hello, Josie. Hello. Good morning. And we have literally last night got back from a dahlia hunting trip to Holland. And I just thought it would be quite nice to kind of talk everybody through exactly what we do when we're looking for dahlias and how far ahead we work and the whole kind of process of dahlia breeding really, which we have covered in a podcast before, but I just thought sort of really hot off the press, fresh from the trip. It would be fun to chat about it. So Josie, why don't you start by just talking us through where we went first and and what we were up to? Okay, so quite a long drive. Yeah, <laughs> but luckily no bank holiday traffic. And we went first to one of our main suppliers. I, I haven't done the dahlias before, so it was really fascinating for me. Then you turn up and greeted very warmly, you were, <laughs> which is really nice. And uh, we're met by the, the breeders, suppliers there uh, and our Dutch guide. And we go into a, a field, not quite a field. Is I don't know how many acres or... Or what that is. It's not like the tulips. It's not huge fields of dahlias. No, what do you um, think about an acre? Probably, yes. Mm. But there's there's 10 of each variety in a row. So there's, there's hundreds of varieties, isn't there? Yeah. And they're all marked out and the, the uh, suppliers have a, a catalogue and you just go along the rows one after another and have a look. And I mean, it's mind blowing. It's so amazing to see. So we we did find quite a few interesting ones, didn't we, in the, the first place we went to. Then we moved on, second place. Yeah. The, well, two, a, two a day, three the second day, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, that, exactly right. It's just, so we, we meet um, this old friend of mine and colleague, Dickie Skipper, who is somebody who has been involved herself with daily breeding and tends to create two or three new varieties every year. She's got an incredible eye. She's a really, really good selector, as I hope you and I can claim too, if not too boastingly. And um, what I find is, yeah, so visiting our, our first main sort of um, tuber supplier and their, their sort of trial field, we know most of them now, or, you know, because you've grown so many hundreds of varieties here over the years. And so, you know, so have I. And I've seen them there now for 10, 15, 20 years since I've been going every autumn. And then we've developed a relationship with a much smaller scale breeder who then supplies into our main supplier. And I thought I'd describe that as the, the next thing. So last summer, I went with my husband, Adam, and again, Dickie Skipper. 
And you basically go to a field where every single plant is different to the next. So they're each individual seedlings. So in fact, I'm going to kick back over to Josie, who's much better explaining how you do the cross-fertilization, and then we'll come back to this field. I mean, it's on a different scale that they do. You know, here we're out with our little net bags if we want something not open-pollinated. I don't actually know how they they do it if they are open pollinated there. Uh, So they would collect seeds and in in this second trial garden, each seedling was different, wasn't Mm. it? Whereas in the first one, they they were up to 10 of each variety. Here, each seedling was completely different. There were some that you'd seen the previous year, wasn't there, that you'd, you'd selected and they'd grown on again. They have to grow them on for a second year. To, they have to see what the tubers are like. So when they dig them up this autumn, they'll look at the tubers and see if they're worth pushing on. If there's no tuber there, you know, heaven knows how Café Olay survived, really, because it produces no tubers. But yeah. uh, they they persisted with that one. Uh, yeah, they're hoping for really good tubers so they can make 20 plants from that one seedling, like you say, and then up to 400 if it's good. But looking at, at the 20 in the second year, you know, they can still say no, can't they? Yeah. It's just not good enough. It's not performing well enough. And some of them we saw were reverting to something less interesting or were quite irregular. So you'd have a, a fully double cactus, but then on some of the plants, they were throwing up ones with with yellow eyes and going to a more single form. And often they would get rejected for that reason. But I mean, the really encouraging thing for me, was that we last August, September, we selected six varieties and out of those, five had come good. So there was one that unfortunately had formed very, very bad tubers or no tubers, so that didn't make the grade. And that was a shame because in my photos, in a way, perhaps I'd felt it was my favourite, but very quickly I was able to move on from mourning that because there were just these five were just so stunningly beautiful and exciting. These are all single or collarettes or anemone flower varieties, so they're good for pollinators. What will happen now is is that breeders, so so we had 20, and what he'd done is he'd lifted the tuber. If they were good tuber formers, um, he okayed them. He then gets them to form cuttings in the spring, and those are all taken as they emerge from the tuber in March or April. But then he also takes tip cuttings from those cuttings. So even in one year, so he may divide the tuber, but if it's just one, it's a bit precious and so a bit risky. So he tends not to, but then he'll take cuttings from that tuber and then tip cuttings from those cuttings. So in one season with a dahlia, he can easily end up with 20 plants, which is what he had. And then those all get done the same the following year, so you get 400. And then it's only the following year that you can actually have bought them up enough to be able to release them into the market. And so the ones that we saw last year will be uh, released in 2026 or 2027. And so when we were there with him, we also went around with bamboo canes and with Tom Stimson, who's our head of horticulture, we selected three or four new ones from his seedlings from this year. So when we go back next year, we'll have panels of hopefully 400 of the five varieties. Of last year's, of yes. last year's. And we'll have panels of 20 of the ones we selected from this year. 
and we will then make a new selection. And so it is, it's like, it is honestly like visiting a sweetie shop as an adult if you love dahlias. And if you don't select them, they're binned. They never see the light of day again. Yes. Yeah. And so it is this sort of wonderful, enlivening thing that you feel you're kind of bringing something to life in a way. Yes, yeah. And we then went on in the second day to another breeder who in fact had bought seedlings from somebody who was retiring. And he had, I mean, honestly, thousands and thousands of seedlings. And when we got out of the car... We were all kind of, had already been to a couple of other trial fields. So we'd already seen a lot of dahlias, but it was just the most amazing sight. An awful lot of yellow, which we don't like quite so much, not that very kind of very sharp yellow. And that really stands out in a field. And the the thing is, if you're looking over this mass of dahlias, each plant different to the next, you have to literally become incredibly microscopic and you have to walk relatively rapidly down the line and as you're looking to your left with the whole block to your left you may be able to cover three rows in your line of vision and then you get right to the end of the block turn around and come back and look at the other three rows but you have to do it like that because you just you're blinded by the mass but then you'll suddenly see a beacon of a remarkable variety. And we all absolutely fell on one particular one. We couldn't decide whether we should call it Shakespeare or Doublet or Vita Sattva West, or there were lots of ideas of what we might call it. It was so sort of classically kind of Elizabethany beautiful somehow. Anyway, that was just one seedling. So that isn't going to be in our range until maybe five or six years. 20, yeah, 27, all, 28. All going and you, well. You, you've described this excitement to me before, and this was the first time I'd actually seen it, this sort of moment when you go, oh, this is amazing. And yeah, luckily everybody thought the same, didn't they, in yeah. the group? It yeah. really stood out as a beacon. I yes. mean, that didn't mean that we didn't then label 35 others. <laughs> I know um, they, they ran out of tags, didn't they? They did, <laughs> But we were lucky that we were we were one of the first sort of people wanting to breed out dailies that had visited so we could claim them. Because, of course, if someone has claimed them before, then that's theirs and that's their yes, variety. Yeah. So, again, in exactly the same situation where he will then grow them out into 20, da, 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 just the same. And he had a few new varieties, which he'd bred a a, a few years previously, and they will hopefully, one or two of these might be late additions to our 2023 range. And there was- 24. Sorry, 24 range. Sorry, we're in 2023 now. And one of them was, I thought, incredibly accurately named, which was Sparkle Octopus or Octopus Sparkle. Yes, yeah. And it was the most extraordinary variety that was standing very much taller than everything else, definitely to two meters. And it's an anemone flower variety that literally looks like an octopus with its legs hanging down. And then the body being this sparkle, uh, like an anemone flower of these sort of beautiful nectaries standing proud with the octopus legs hanging below. A slight honker to the petals, isn't it? 
yeah. the, the, that rounding of the petals. Yeah, sort of qu- slightly quill-like quill, yes. shape yeah. of the yes. petals. And um, we really try and, because you get so sort of into looking at the, the miniature. So every so often, I mean, Josie said to me, let's stand back and see when we were in another field uh, let's stand back and see what one is an eye catcher because we were thinking we might try and do an eye catcher collection and it was this octopus sparkle or sparkle octopus I can't yeah. quite remember which way around it is that really stood out because it just was so tall so graceful and yet so showy and punchy and that again so that's available you know it's not like we've got involved with breeding that one out but it's just, again, just being able to be look close in, but also stand back and see which one has has the impact. But either way, it's just the most uh, sort of exhilarating and creative process. And to bring it closer to home, Josie, before we finish, I just wonder if you'd talk through the ones that you've got growing here that you've grown. Yeah, so we've talked previously about how, how we actually get to the seedling stage and they're all starting to open now. Uh, as we, as we're recording this, they know that I've got two or three still to open. So every day you'll see me down there. Mm. <laughs> You're not open yet, but you know you you judge it from that as well. You know it's it's getting later in the season. People don't want to be waiting that long for a, a flower to open. So the earlier ones would go higher up our marking yes, list in exactly. a way. Exactly, late yeah. flowering is not an asset, really. No, not at all. And yeah, there's some really there's. That that lovely, it came from Molly Raven, a single, but that apricotty with mm. the dark backs to the petals, beautiful mm. thing. And being a single, that's what we're we're looking for a lot now, isn't it? Mm. And um, there's the anemone flowered one, which is it's different to to Abigail, isn't it? Mm. Slightly different to that. It's a, a richer a richer colour um, that yeah. might work. Yeah, uh, and there's some other singles. There's but really sort of neon pink one has come out today, which ah. is quite interesting. Yes. So so just to recap, just in case people don't want to listen back. So what you did in last summer. Yes. Would you just recap on okay. exactly the process? So, well, th- this is the process I'm going to say. When, when this rain stops, uh, we've got some fine weather coming up. So it's better to do this if there's a period of fine weather predicted. So we'll go around and we'll you'll say to me, oh, I like that one. You know, I wonder if we could get something from that. So we'll bag them up before the, the pollen starts to show. Mm-hmm. So you put on these net jewellery bags uh, and pull the pull the strings around the, the neck of the dahlia. And then that, that dahlia flower will open within the bag, but it can't be pollinated. Yes. So when you see the pollen starting to form, you'll take it to another bagged dahlia that you've chosen you know, take them off and transfer the pollen. Yeah. You can do it by paintbrush, which is what the, you know, the, the Proper real guys breeders, do. yeah, <laughs> unlike us, Heath Robinson, and then transfer the pollen. So, you know, you can get rid of the original flower, then you rebag the one that you've put the pollen onto mm. and just wait for the seed to form. So that flower will, will then go through its process of building the seed up and decaying. And then when you see the the seed head starting to you can pick the petals off you don't want them to get wet if the seeds get wet and damp you know they're not really viable you need that dryness so you know pick the petals off as they're not needed Uh, and then you'll see the seed head starting to form then when you think the seeds are developed fully then you'd cut that off and dry it 
uh, you know, keep it over winter like you would any any seed, uh, and then in the spring plant that up, and that's how we've reached these these numbers of seed and what seedlings. You was, what you were saying on the drive on the way back is that you could tell as you were sowing whether a seed was viable or not. Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, people can look online if if they're trying to identify that. Perhaps it's something we can do on our our website to to make yeah. it easier to find. So a viable seed, it, it, they're long, not long, but easy to handle uh, black seeds. And you'll, you'll feel some are really thin and flat and you'll know that's not a viable seed. Uh, the ones that are viable have, have got sort of a certain fleshiness, thickness to the base of them. Uh, so those are the ones that you want to sow next spring. Okay, yeah. brilliant. So I guess one of the reasons, as well as just trying to sort of express and get over what a fantastically rewarding thing it is to visit Holland when the daily is not just the tulips are spectacular. Everyone tends to go to Holland in the spring, but to go to Holland in the autumn is also utterly wonderful to see all this breeding going on, but also very much to try and do it yourself. I mean, it just is is really a perfect home gardener thing to do, to crossbreed two dahlias that you particularly love, to harvest a seed just like Josie recommends, and we'll put it in the podcast notes so you can see exactly how to do it, and to store them and then to sow them. And each seedling that you get will be different to the next. So to plant them out, I mean, we've perhaps got 40 here, whereas some of them that we were seeing, we probably were seeing 40,000. We're not suggesting you do it in that volume. But 40, I mean, it's filling just a small bed here. And then just each one as they come out is totally unique. You've created a totally unique plant. And it's just such a rewarding, fun and creative thing to do. And then if there's one that you particularly love, you can, just as I've described, you dig up the tuber. If you've got good tubers, then you can store it. And then just like you normally do with a bought-in tuber, you would then use that, you know, you would bring that into growth, get cuttings, then get tip cuttings. You've got 20 plants from one if you love it, and then you can give them all to your friends. So yeah, it isn't just the remit of the professional gardener. I mean, Josie and I would consider ourselves to be semi-professional, semi-amateur gardeners, but any of us can do this. And um, uh, yeah, it's just really... The older I get, the more I find this sort of thing exciting. It is so exciting, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it? To see each one open. Thanks so much for listening to Grow Cookie to Range and hearing about the thing that we love most in all we do, really, which is hunting and breeding new plants. Next week, I'm going to be talking on my own about the things that I'm sowing the following weekend that are really fantastic and really benefit from autumn sowing for spring and summer gardens. So the ornamentals for autumn sowing, which are a real priority for right now. So I'll see you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.